The Only Warrior Cats podcast strives to be family-friendly, but we may cover themes not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I feel like we need some theme to talk about death. Like we're, we're pulling up to the pet cemetery. Oh no. We're here to place flowers on the graves of our fallen cat friends. <laughs> Welcome to the Only Warrior Cats podcast. We are the Only Warrior Cats podcast, and this is the show where two Warrior Cats veterans read through each of the books with their new-to-the-series friend and help initiate him into the world of the Warrior Cats. I'm Zoe B, and I am joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Jose and Lola Sebastian. Say hello. Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. Today, we are going to be discussing the first book in this Warrior Cats series, into the wild. So Zoe, how did you get into the Warrior series? So I first got into the Warrior series when I was a young child in elementary school because I, believe it or not, did not have very many friends. And so the way that I spent most of my time was with books. I also, I had an older sister and I got a lot of hand-me-down books from her, but I also was trying to sort of forge my own identity. And these books were my way of doing that. They were something that nobody else in my family had ever read before. They were also, it was still pretty early on, so there were still new books coming out all the time. It just scratched all of those weird little child Zoe brain itches that I had. Uh, how did you get into the books, Lola, since you are my fellow Warrior Cats veteran? Um, well, first of all, if I say your childhood sounds like Helga Pataki, um, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> I was also a huge in school, so totally fits. Yeah, I don't know why that's not a surprise to me, because it's. I guess it's not like <laughs> your brand, but knowing you as a friend. Listen, there's been a lot of growth that has turned me into the person I am now. I had to go through the mean phase to get to who I am. A lot of very sensitive people start out as the kind of kids who, like, kick other children. Yeah. And I think Warriors is marketed to those kinds of kids. Kids who kick other kids. <laughs> Do you just want to fight someone? I was actually, like, a, a small gay child, like, peering into, like, a wishing well. So I was always, like, the token medicine cat of my friend group. So crazy enough, this was not the first Warriors book I read. And I don't know if that's the case for you, Zoe. No, yeah, I started at the beginning. How do you even jump in later? My dad picked me up the first book of um, The Power of Three. Mm. And I loved it, but I was also confused. So then I was Understandable. like, Dad, you have to go back to the beginning. So then I went back to the first series. Yeah, I very quickly became like a Warriors super fan. I was featured on Aaron Hunter's blog a couple times. Oh my gosh, we are in the presence of a celebrity. Oh god, no. I ran the most popular Shadow Clan Facebook page at the time <laughs> for a time period. For it's a period piece, you know, where we would all like role play as cat characters. Were these original cats or like based on characters in the books? Yeah, they were all OCs. We weren't allowed to call each other by like name. I think my name was Model Heart, which I hate now. Model like M-O-T-T-L-E like yes for something to be mottled. My co-runner one of my close friends and we're still friends to this day was Tiger Star but no relation. <laughs> 
That's so funny. I met some of the Aaron Hunters when they came to town. Um, I have a signed copy of Warriors Series 1, Book 6, The Darkest Hour, and um, Series 3, Book 6, which I think is called Sunset. That's very cool. And they were super nice. Me and my friends all wore matching, like, Shadow Clan bracelets that we had hand-beaded. And all of the Aaron Hunters, they're very good with kids, and they took time to talk to us about, like, why Shadow Clan? I mean, I think partially it's like when you're in the fifth grade, you're drawn to edgy things. I definitely would have been in the Scourge fandom if I was like a fandom kid at the time because I was very like, I'm very mm-hmm. dark. I have a question though about warrior cats in general. Since you both grew up with them, was this like mm-hmm. a popular thing amongst the kids? Um- It wasn't as big as, like, Harry Potter by any means. I mean, that was something that, like, everybody had read or had watched the movies, Um, at least for me. And I know I'm a couple years older than Lola, but I think that there were a couple kids in my grade who had read some of them, but they weren't super fans uh in the same sort of way that i was because i would play with my toys and and separate some of my stuffed animals and i i was really into marbles i collected marbles as a child and i would separate them by color and type like some that were you know like matte colored and some that had the like cat's eyes things in them and stuff like that and i would separate them into clans so that was how i was a fan i had my own sort of version of the warrior cats but none of the other kids that i knew who read them were into them like that it was just like oh yeah these are books that i've read and they're i liked them what about you lola i know you said that you had at least one or two friends who had who were super fans i think i converted them like maybe not intentionally but like i loved cats so ended up getting like really into it and i think like indoctrinating all my friends who i wanted to talk about it with i don't think warriors was intended initially for elementary schoolers it's like the vibe that i get is that it was for like middle grade readers it is listed as a young adult novel into the wild everywhere that i've looked i would have guessed middle school reading it myself for the first time it was like this is it's just on the side of edgy where i wouldn't want it in the hands of like someone in grade four which is so funny because grade four was like peak warriors time age eight the high point of my warriors obsession yeah i think for me it was between like seven and ten which is funny because if you read the parental guides it's like age 10 is a good place to start with warriors and i'm like oh man age 11 is like when i phased out of warriors so the copyright for the the first book this into the wild book came out in 2003 and that was the year that i turned seven so i may have actually been on the very cusp of it like i i may have found the books when they were first coming out i i am only just now realizing that so they felt like it was this already established series but I guess not so before we get into the plot summary I want to ask you when we were first talking about starting this podcast and we floated this idea of talking about this kids book series that Lola and I had both read what were your thoughts to be honest it was a lot of confusion (laughs) I have I had never in my life heard of these books not once. I'm a bit older than both of you. So that's, I guess why I was just a bit too old for these things. Similarly, when I like checked around with my friends asking them, have you heard of these books? Do you have like a little brother or sister who maybe read them? And almost all of them were just like, no, I don't know what this is. I don't know what Warrior Cats is. 
just blank stares. Uh, I think I had one friend who was like, my little sister, I think, read one of them. And that's the closest (laughs) I got to any sort of like affirmation that these existed more than three months ago. Wow, that's really surprising. That's so funny. I think we forget that kids books sometimes live in their own little world. And then unless they break through with like a movie or some other major media property. Like, because I have a, a younger brother and he, he's seven years younger than me. So there's a pretty, you know, significant gap. And so the stuff that he was into as a kid was just I don't know like so alien to me like what are these there's like this whole series of like spy books for children what is this and it just absurd stuff so yeah I think that that's valid if surprising what are like popular book series with kids today well I definitely can't answer that (laughs) one I have to look it up I mean the problem is I think all of these articles are old because they're like warriors hunger games a series of unfortunate events captain underpants and I'm like no that's my generation yeah that was what I read that's what's popular with the zoomers but what are the alphas into maybe they're just watching tiktoks or something no more books let's see the inheritance games let the games begin are they still like ripping off the hunger games every every few years now still a stone of throne and bone yeah honestly a lot of this looks very very similar to when we were kids so maybe it's just how conservative that uh, a lot of publishers are getting they only want to bet on the true tried hits and they're probably more inclined to bring back some classics than something completely new or different that's so frustrating i feel pretty bad for kids today actually makes me feel compelled to become a children's book author do it no because i write things for adults. you can do both if we've learned <laughs> anything we find that kids love reading above their intended uh age level so they do if warriors is for middle schoolers and stephen king is for adults i definitely did not know that as a kid because i was reading warriors in elementary school and stephen king yeah. in middle school yeah i read the stand as a 13 year old so yeah, uh, I don't know how to segue into this. Magical sound effect, maybe? <laughs> meows with chimes. <laughs> that's better than just meows, but <laughs> that's not bad. That was good. I like that. The meow mix. All right. So <laughs> the meow mix. Jose, as the newcomer, would you like to give us a quick overview of what even happens in this book? I'm going to give it my best shot. This was a big one. A lot of stuff happened in this book. We start off with a prophecy from a cat named Spotted Leaf, a member of the Thunder Clan and their their trusted, valued medicine cat. The clan's fallen on hard times and is in desperate need of warriors to fill its ranks. And in Spotted Leaf's vision, she sees that fire is the only thing that will save the clan. We move forward and we meet this other cat living a blessed domesticated life. His name is Rusty. He's a small orange cat, which, you know, is a little fire-like. So We're getting our hints right off the bat. That's the sound the woods makes that calls Rusty forward to explore them on his own, (laughs) ignoring the the calls of his friends to stay stay a pet, you know? But he decides he wants to live in the wilderness. There he stumbles upon members of ThunderClan. They didn't like him so much at first because he's a domesticated cat and they kind of look down on those. But one of them actually takes a shine to him, sees some potential in Rusty, and they decide to bring him into their clan and he becomes christened Firepaw. So as a young cat in training, a warrior in training, he is taken under the tutelage of, oh God, who was it? Lionheart? Lionheart? He was mentored by Lionheart and Tiger Claw before being assigned to Blue Star. He works as a, a young cat in training to become a warrior, makes a few new friends, and he's starting to prove himself. People are beginning to believe in them. But there's crisis brewing as uh, one of the rival clans, Shadow Clan, seems to be making moves against some of the other cat clans in the area. Oh, I should probably mention there are four cat clans in this wilderness. There's Thunder Clan, which is uh, Firepaw's home clan, Shadow Clan, who 
seem to be the bad guys in this book, at least. River Clan, who are a bunch of like water cats. They are they like hanging up by the water, I guess. We don't really know much about them. And then there's Wind Clan, who we don't see any members of. They got chased out by Shadow Clan at some point. We don't really find out in the book. Eventually, there's like this big meeting called, and all the clans are supposed to get together and talk things out peacefully. We find out there that Wind Clan has been chased out of the woods, so there are only three left. And Shadow Clan, since they're running out of food, is demanding that the other two clans, River Clan and Thunder Clan, start giving them tribute in the shape of like kills. And uh, they're also like stealing kittens from other clans. Uh, I forget this is where we learned it there or not, but they are doing that. They're shady guys. So for some reason, River Clan kind of backs down and it's, it's very strange that they just enter this agreement with the other clans uh, or they bend to Shadow Clan, which I thought was kind of lame. And then Thunder Clan decides they're going to stand and fight, but they're they're kind of weak and depleted. Firepaw's out and about for some reason, and he comes across <laughs> another cat named Yellowfang. Yellowfang has deserted from Shadow Clan, their former medicine cat. Instead, even though she's weak and injured, she still puts up a fight, but Firepaw seems to have the better of her and then gives her a bit of mercy. She ends up being a guest of Thunder Clan and eventually wants to hang out with them uh, because she doesn't trust where Shadow Clan is going. Their leadership is not to be trusted. They're up to shady stuff. With some information from Yellowfang, Thunder Clan tries to get together and they're going to strike back against Shadow Clan. First, they consult this weird stone thing. I didn't really know what was going on there, but their leader, Blue Star, has a vision, and apparently things are going to go down, things that are very important. Still not entirely sure what's going on there, but uh, they lead this fight against Shadow Clan, and uh, they do pretty well. They catch them off guard and uh, take them down a bit, shatter their leadership, and it looks like uh, even though there are some losses, Thunder Clan at one point gets attacked as well, and sadly, Spotted Leaf gets taken out. And um, it's very sad. Spotted Leaf was one of the good ones. Well, when it wraps up, thankfully, it looks like Shadow Clan is getting its act together. They've gotten rid of the bad cats, and hopefully they'll get in the good cats and uh, right their ship. Thunder Clan is looking okay now, and I don't know, River Clan, I guess, they're the real winners because they didn't have to do anything. The other two clans fought and figured it out for them, so end of summary. <laughs> Marvelous. Absolutely fantastic. It's an excellent summary. It was. So yeah, I mean, there is a lot of stuff that happens in this book. Um, it is quite the dense beginning to a series, very full of world building and lore. So where would you guys like to begin in our discussion? Well, I'll say if this had been the first Warrior Cats book that I'd read, I don't know if I would have read any more. <laughs> As a kid, you're so open to new ideas and stuff, but like world building info dump is like an immediate turnoff for me for every kind of story. It's like, I love fantasy but it has to have the most like seamless exposition in the world and unfortunately fantasy novels tend not to and this book who's that that's tiger claw he's like this and who's that that's ravenpaw he's like this where are we going to the moonstone i just want to share the the very first note i wrote down when i started this book and it just reads seven pages of lore right off the bat what have I just walked into? Because that's what you see. You just see like <laughs> lists of characters and clans and maps. And I'm like, this is a lot. But yeah. in that way, it's also kind of exciting, especially for children, because because you have so much to explore. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like a very full world. I think that that's why so many kids love it, because there's this, you know, entire fleshed out universe that you can play in and pretend that you're within. And because they have so many details you know, you really feel like you can get immersed in it. So in that respect, I mean, I think it's great. I, while I was reading it, I was so worried that 
it wasn't going to be good because I haven't read it in over a decade. Fortunately, one of my first notes here is not as bad as I was worried it would be. <laughs> yeah, the writing was pretty good, actually. I was pleasantly surprised. I was so impressed. Like the whole time I was reading it, I was trying to figure out whether or not Warriors is high fantasy or low fantasy, because it's kind of both. Where would you classify? I know, Lola, I know you have read Redwall. Yes. Jose, are you familiar with the Redwall series? I have no idea what that okay, is. Okay, it was, let's see, when did Redwall come out? I want to say it was like the 80s, right? Yeah, 1986 is when the first Redwall book came out. Um, and it's similar, except instead of cats, it's forest creatures. And instead of clans, they live in an abbey in the, I assume, British countryside. There's a lot of like odd religious undertones. There's a lot of food and cooking, and it's all very cozy, and it is marvelous. Lots of feasts. So many feasts. But I think that Warriors, like, I think that it very clearly is inspired from, or at least comes from that tradition that Redwall started. I would say that Redwall is high fantasy. I think that Warriors is high fantasy, but that might be a hot take. Well, Rusty, Firepaw, Fireheart comes from, like, the muggle world. But I actually think the more of, a, like, a closer comparison, I actually started to see kitty pets as, like, hobbits. They serve Ooh. the same function, and Rusty is totally, like, a Frodo figure. That's an interesting... Oh my goodness, I have never even thought of it like that. Because it's not exactly like the kitty pets are in the world of humans just because they live with the humans. They're in the world of cats. Yeah. A kitty pet is a close proximity to an everyman because humans are domestic and the cats we know in our lives, like us the reader, are domesticated. Do we know the origin of where warrior cats came from? Not yet. I mean, they do. So later near the middle or second third of the book, they they have a clan gathering at Four Trees, which is this like, it's it's four big trees um, that they meet in the clearing. It's that the is United in the middle of this. Yeah, it's, it's the UN of cats. And at this meeting, <laughs> the apprentices that are there, including Firepaw and his friend Graypaw, uh, they have a discussion about the history of the clans. So they discuss how there are these ancient clans that were the, you know, ancestors of the current clans. And there's Tiger Clan, who are the cats of the night, Lion Clan, that are big, strong, golden cats, and Leopard Clan, who are the swiftest. They have these myths that these clans have passed on or given the currently existing cats skills and traits and talents and... For instance, Leopard Clan, the Swift Warriors, they are the source of the hunting skills that cats currently have. It's not true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, all cats are descended from big cats, etc., etc., but, like, the warriors as a society, as a function in, like, England, question mark, um, they began as domestic cats most likely who then like became feral so all kitty pets are then potentially warriors so it gives the reader this opportunity to be like you know like when i was a kid my cat sparky i was like sparky is a warrior cat because he was so tough he was so cool it's so sad because like he lived to be like 20 oh wow he lived a long time um he actually only died two years ago or so mm. so he's been with me like my entire life Sorry, I know I'm getting emotional about my little guy, okay. but my special little guy, um, he was an incredibly good hunter. When we got him, he was an indoor-outdoor cat, which, like, I would never do now, but I was, like, 
two or four when we got him, so you can't really judge me, can you? Um, you can judge my parents, I guess, but mm, we've never had any problems with like infestations or anything, which is kind of significant. Like living in the Pacific Northwest, everyone I ever knew mm-hmm. has talked about like you know in the springtime we get mice or whatever, and we've never had those problems until Sparky died, and we realized he was hunting all the time around the perimeter of her house like keeping rats out of the garage so for the very Hmm. first time the spring when he passed away you know and like that's the function of cats when you think about it is to like keep pests at bay but like as soon as he died we got spiders we got beetles we got rats we live in a very naturey part of the world and he had been keeping them out the whole time warriors likely became it's like how the pigeons that you see in cities and i i will go on about this forever and ever because it's like it makes me extremely emotional but pigeons began as domesticated birds like they're the only like truly domesticated birds Hmm. to this day i mean you could say that parrots are like semi-domesticated but they're they're really not like fully domesticated but pigeons are they have been our pets forever and then people you know wealthy edwardians started dumping them when they just got bored of them and now we have all of these feral pigeons in every city because they're just so adaptable and i that's basically what warrior cats are isn't it i wonder if this is where the elements of the fantasy come in because yeah obviously you know realistically <laughs> All of these cats were probably, um, did probably come from domesticated cats, um, at least originally. You know, it depends on how many generations back you go. We are descended from lions and leopards and all that. To me, that actually spoke to the realism of how these clans are formed. Not because they're literally descended from those animals, because of course they weren't. But that's like a common tactic that was used by any sort of ruling structure or power structure where they wanted to claim Mm -hmm. legitimacy or authority. They would say, oh, by the way. I'm descended from Alexander the Great, or I'm descended from Julius Caesar. It wasn't true, or there was no like way they could prove it. But by tying to those like strong bloodlines, it would reinforce their their authority, and it was a way of you know like proclaiming their divine right of kingship, basically. So when I saw that in the story, I was like, oh, that's kind of historically interesting. Warriors kind of leans into the whole idea of genetic memory because even if Rusty begins as a house cat, he's dreaming of like hunting in the wild because he has it like somewhere in his ancient subconscious. It's almost psychoanalytic. See, I was going to ask if it was maybe a little fascist, maybe. Yeah, definitely. That honestly was the vibe that I got and I think that definitely fits with what you were saying Jose with the you know this idea of like this great past and these you know very powerful like uber cats of the ancient clans and there's also there's just like weird politics where one of the biggest points of conflict is this idea of not like inherently not trusting anybody outside of your group that's why a lot of the ThunderClan cats were so upset that, you know, they brought in this kitty pet, and it's why the ThunderClan cats were so upset when they brought Yellowfang in, because, oh my gosh, she's from another clan. You know, she's inherently evil. Firepaw asks some questions about the clans to try and understand what he's getting into, and he asks why the clans don't just work together. 
if there's a limited amount of territory and food. The quote is, alliances bring more trouble than they're worth. The authors, plural, are literally bringing up the idea that they might all be better off if they just work together. So clearly, we're not supposed to glorify the constant, like, war, and yet it's also kind of the appeal of the series. Yeah. The cats are kind of fashy. They have these arbitrary borders, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they're wild animals that are creating, like, humanistic borders, and they... They're all cats. They're all just cats, but they're always trying to kill each other over like, you can't be on the sunning rocks. Those are our sunning rocks. And they're like out there telling them like, oh, we're descended from lions who like took down antelopes. And they're like in the woods chasing down like a mouse or something. Like they're not exactly living this these glory days that they think they are. Hmm. Blue Star is very traumatized. And I feel like she kind of coerces little Rusty into joining the clans. He thinks that he's doing it independently because he's like, I've been having these dreams of being an ancient warrior, but it really is an appeal to that kind of rhetoric. Mm -hmm. And she literally tells him like, if you don't come to join us in the woods, they're going to take you to the cutter. Can we talk yeah. about the cutter? I kind of winced when I heard when I read those bits. Uh, I didn't expect castration come up in a book about cats, but I guess it makes sense. <laughs> no. <laughs> so this just a PSA before we begin this discussion: you should spay and neuter your pets. I know that I sound like what's his name, Bob Barker or whatever, but genuinely, animals, especially cats, you really should keep them inside. You should get them spayed and neutered. That is the position of this podcast. It is not up yes. for discussion. All right, let's go ahead. That said, they literally, in like the first, second chapter, hang the threat of castration over the main character's yes. head. and it is so threatening because it turns you into a lazy, irritable, you stop dreaming about the outside, you stop wanting to play, you stop having any amount of energy, you lose your vitality, essentially, and it's very, I mean, literally emasculating. There was that one pet cat that was described and he like sounded so sad, just sits around and is kind of miserable all day. And, uh, you know, Rusty saw that and was like, I don't want that to be me. But do we have any evidence that this is even true other than like anecdotal? <laughs> well, definitely not. Like what? He just heard it from the neighbor cat. Like that's basically it. And then of course, all the, the cats in the wild say that, but what would they know? They live in the wilderness. The wilderness cats seem incredibly prejudiced towards like the domesticated ones. I felt like the word, the term kitty pet was like a slur at some point. Like anytime someone uses it, it's like, whoa, you just <laughs> called him that. That's right. That's how little I think of him. Yeah, I feel like kitty pet to the Warrior Cat series is what mudblood is to Harry Potter. And maybe this is why as a kid I was so drawn to Shadow Clan. I'm not gonna say I hate Thunder Clan, but I find it very difficult to root for all of these bigots. They're very xenophobic. They are. Versus Shadow Clan is like damaged, but often they bring in outsiders. They directly challenge a lot of Thunder Clan's morals. The characterization of Shadow Clan I think is problematic, but I yes. think that it Shadow Clan makes it clear that this book is very much a product of its time. This was written in in the early 2000s. It was published in 2003. I think that Shadow Clan really represents a lot of the like political boogeymen of the time. Yes. Where at least the two notes that I have are that uh, Shadow Clan has like welfare queen vibes. Yes. <laughs> where you know they essentially their argument for why they deserve the prey and the territory from the other clans is because they have so many more babies, and you know the other clans have had issues with not being able to find enough food and they had some harsh winters and that's why their populations are kind of struggling a little bit. 
but ShadowClan didn't have those issues. And so they, you know, have all of these kits. Now it does, it is revealed that some of these kits, at least some of them were kidnapped, kidnapped, uh, if you will. So there is, <laughs> you know, some of that extra nuance to that. But their argument is that they deserve things because they have more babies. And during the mid and early 2000s, and even today in some places, that is a very common myth about people who are on public assistance is like, oh, they're just popping out babies so that they can get more welfare. Um, but also, this one is maybe a stretch. But in this essay, I will argue that ShadowClan is characterized as similar to the Taliban. Absolutely, yes. They are kidnapping and indoctrinating your children, and they are using child soldiers, and they are abusing children to try and take over the world for their nefarious purposes. And that was, you know, in the early 2000s, even in the UK, uh, where Aaron Hunter is from, like, Islamophobia was not just a US thing. ShadowClan reminded me of, like, the moral panic around African warlords. Yeah. You know, the idea that, like, they're going into the woods and they're stealing your children to become soldiers and sex slaves and we have to intervene. We have to do something. And there's a lot of commentary in Warriors about, like, the necessity of political intervention. Mm -hmm. But it's especially interesting because then when kitty pets venture where they shouldn't and say... <laughs> but we're all cats. Why are we fighting? The warriors are like, you don't it's, understand. There's a lot of just weird political undertones in this. Not even undertones, overtones. Yeah, and ThunderClan, I don't know, they just seem like huge hypocrites a lot of the time because they can talk about their honor mm -hmm. and their, their morals and their superiority. But I mean, look at uh, what's-his-face, Tigerclaw. He's like scheming and he mm -hmm. like literally killed um the former deputy leader tiger claw kills red tail and uh you know once that almost comes out he nearly kills his own apprentice and this is a guy who's got pretty high standing within the in, within the clan and when he says something people listen so how much can we really say that thunder clan has any sort of moral superiority in any of this well and something else that i think is interesting is that when they're first recruiting rusty one of the the main talking points that they have is that they're offering him community. They are offering him this support network and this, you know, people who will look out for him and fight for him and they can work together to become part of something greater. At first, it almost feels like that's maybe a a good message. You know, I'm, all of us are fans of community here. Uh, we are fans of people working together to do good things for each other. And it almost feels like it's a statement that goes against the idea of rugged individualism and, you know, like, Rusty, you don't have to be this strong guy on your own. You can work with other people and lean on them when you need to. But then, like, later it, it becomes so, like, insular. Insular. I don't know how to say that word. You know, there, there's very distinct boundaries on who is and is not part of the community and i think that's where it starts to fall apart and it becomes not a good thing anymore so you can map the four clans onto the political compass oh no and the weird thing is thunder clan are quote-unquote heroes are the authoritarian right shadow clan is the libertarian right Wait, how would you even place wind hmm. clan they're barely in the book 
I mean, from <laughs> what I what I remember later on, I would probably place them as like the libertarian left because they're all like hippies. And I would place River Clan as like the authoritarian left because like they have a strict respect of rules and honor in a very similar way to Thunder Clan, but they're also like, we love to collect seashells. You know what I mean? There's kind of this like boomery, like hippie coding. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, although the ThunderClan warriors might be, like, those dumb RiverClan warriors, they love to collect feathers and seashells and make their caves pretty. As a kid, you're reading that and you're like, I like pretty things. I have seashells on my bookshelf mm-hmm. right now. I keep wondering if th- if we're really supposed to root for ThunderClan. I don't know. I mean, that sort of gets into a bigger question of how much do we value authorial intent and... You know, should we discount the depth and nuance of a book just because it's for children? Obviously not, since we are uh, doing an entire podcast just on these children's books. But I, I don't think that that was the intent. Like, I, I think that the authors, though I have never met them, so, you know, <laughs> you may know better than I, Lola. But I don't think that the authors thought about it like that, or at least didn't intend to have that level of nuance to it. I think that ThunderClan, I think that it is similar to Gryffindor. I mean, these, this book, I think it does have a lot of parallels to Harry Potter. Yes. You know, I, th- I think that the clans really do map onto the, the houses exactly perfectly. You know, like RiverClan is Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff is WindClan, ShadowClan is Slytherin. I would have reversed RiverClan and WindClan. But yeah, whatever. They're not even important because it's just Slytherin versus Gryffindor all the time. Yeah, but like, I mean, you can say the same things about Gryffindor that you can about ThunderClan where they're like, that's the house of cops (laughs) and they are the cops of the woods. But you know what? It's not just spiritual, right? Like fascists are often very occult. Mm. You know, which it, it's a frustration of mine because then like people get into like occult stuff and everyone's like, oh, that's very fascist. And it's like not inherently. I would actually consider the warrior cats more of like a theocratic monarchy because they're given divine right via Star Clan. Yeah. Their power is absolute. Well, so this is a question that I have that might seem a little bit silly. What's up with the Moonstone? Is it, it's magic. Is it just straight up magic? <laughs> I've only read this book, so I can only base it on what I saw, but it seems like it carries the potential for magic in the future, but there was nothing in this book that made me think, oh, wow, yes, this is a world of magic. It could, st- it still exists in this like in-between space where you could just say like, you know, Blue Star was starving and pushed to a limit and then she hallucinated something uh, because she was inspired by this rock that happened to be illuminated by the moon at just in just the right way. But why is it so sparkly? Why does it glow like that? It's probably like a quartz or something, a slab of a gemstone. I was thinking, this is my clickbait video essay thumbnail <laughs> concept. I think that the moonstone is actually radioactive. So where the moonstone is located was an abandoned coal mine, some kind of dig site, like human dig site. Is it like radio? I don't know. I think it's some kind of radioactive thing that the humans uncovered and were like, oh shit, we can't deal with this. We're gonna, you know, this is an abandoned mine. Nobody should go near it. But the cats found it. It glows. It has these properties where if you get too close, it kind of makes your brain break a little bit. I'm just saying, I feel like either it's radioactive or it's just straight up magic. (laughs) 
That's fascinating because I, as a kid, I always pictured it as like an opal and I chalked everything yeah. else up to like spirituality. But that's such a, I don't think that the warrior cats are inherently magical, but they are definitely very spiritual. Yeah, I, I think that they are very much tied into this this mythology they've built for themselves and it's shaped how they see the world. So when they come across something that could just be a radioactive rock that's going to kill them, they see something of profound divine importance. All right, so I guess I am going to be the hot take. I will be the token the warrior cats books are full of magic. Wait, if you're like that. If you're both on opposite sides, maybe like I'll be the swing vote here then I'm as we go on along. On opposite side. I I actually <laughs> think that there's a bit of magic and a bit of spirituality both. Oh, okay. If it is not straight up magic, how do you explain the nine lives stuff that the clan leaders possess? Yeah, I mean, that's the main thing for me, right? Is it's like the further we get into the books, the more we learn about Star Clan and like interacting with Star Clan, which in which cats just like speak to the dead. They have visions of like their friends who were alive. These are the questions that we have to ask about real life as well, right? Because we've all, I don't know if we've all, but I have had supernatural occurrences <laughs> where it's like, yeah, now I believe you know, in something. How They're not really so different from us in that regard, are they? I think they're just trying to explain the world the best the way they can as cats, just trying to get through it. Like, well, like the nine lives for Blue Star, she got messed up by those rats, right? It's not, I feel like the nine lives thing would make more sense if she like died and then just like popped right back up. It's like, okay, one more life down. Let's get back to it. But it just seems like shorthand for really getting messed up in a fight. If you're, if any of you are familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, it's like how when you go down in a fight, you, when you're brought back to life, you're only brought back to one hit point. Like you're not brought immediately back up to full health. And that, again, is very similar to, to this. So it could be, you know, not necessarily the super powerful magic um, that we sometimes think of when we think of regeneration or resurrection magic. I mean, by far, I know the star, star clan is just like a thing they imagine. Yeah. Like, presumably we'll meet them because yeah. there are books that have star clan in the title, but like, we don't see any star clan cats in this book. In life, the cats are so xenophobic and they're constantly like fighting amongst themselves. But in star clan, they're all together. They're all just a clan. Yeah, that is interesting. Is that not the implication? Because the implication that I get Oh, is no, it definitely like, is, yeah. After death, you stop caring about petty things like borders. And you all, imagine there's no heaven. You know, like, yes. that was me doing like a Gal Gadot singing Imagine impression for the record. It's also especially weird <laughs> because it presents the idea that if someone treats you in a xenophobic manner, what you should do is impress them. And then they'll respect you. Yeah. Which... As a child who was an immigrant, I don't know if that was like the best message for me to be reading. Yeah, there's a lot of like culty behavior and a lot of like bad advice for how to treat other people in these books. Um, outside of even just the violence. At one point in the book, Firepaw is punished for some misdeed. And the way that they punish him is by not letting him eat. Like they withhold food from him to teach him a lesson. Oh, it's because... He ate that kill, right? He ate the kill before, instead of sharing it with the clan. Oh, right. That's what it was. Because Yellowfang told him that he could, and he was like, okay. Yeah. And they found him and were like, no, sorry, you don't get to eat. And they, like, didn't let him eat for, like, a whole day. It just, I don't know. Like, it feels very toxic. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of withholding of food and sleep that, as an adult, made me go, uh-oh. Mm -hmm. It makes me think that the only way 
Firepaw slash Fireheart can really turn things around is by changing this clan. Like, it's not going to be enough to just get rid of Tigerclaw and fight him at some point. Like, this clan needs an overhaul in how it's structured, how it treats, like, the new recruits and how they punish and learn and live with other clans. It really seems like a poorly organized community is what I'm saying. I guess my confusion is it's like if the leaders are the closest to Star Clan, thus the star suffix, and like they're being imbued with lives, like all of the great wise warriors are maybe not peaceful, but they are like the most mystical. And now do you think that that's a failure of the world building? Like, do you think that that's a you know, mistake or oversight on the part of the authors? Or do you think that, that there is some reason for that? Like, even though the most powerful cats are the ones who should be more peaceful or more wise and, you know, shouldn't be interested in fighting as much, even though they are the ones in charge, the whole system is still incredibly violent. Like, do you think that that's on purpose or do you think that that's just... I don't see how it could possibly be a failure of the world building because the world building is meticulous. Yeah. It feels like this is the start of an arc. Mm. Eventually, the Warrior series was supposed to become about how all the cats should live in peace and harmony. Mm. The problem is books need conflict. Yeah. So we start out with this very like xenophobic, borderline fascist system that it feels like we're supposed to outgrow. And I don't know if we ever outgrow it. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. But like, I completely agree with you. This feels like a world that's in crisis. It's not sustainable. No. no. I mean, they're tearing each other apart in this first book. It's very interesting that a main character would see this world where everyone's suffering and tearing each other apart and be like, I want to be a part of that. That seems cool. But then again, I also relate to the fact that he's like, but my intuition is telling me that this is the right path. I'm like, yeah, me too, buddy. Me as well, friend. (laughs) These books are so violent. Yes. Like that was something that did surprise me was how much violence was in these books. There's so much death. There's so much blood like even literally the end of what this first or second chapter ends with a child like a an apprentice running into the camp and saying hey my mentor was literally just murdered in front of me what do I do and so that's terrifying as an adult reading it I do kind of like it or at least respect it as a writer there are definitely stakes in these books. And I think that's part of why I liked it so much as a kid is because I felt really invested and it wasn't like, I don't know, wishy-washy, like, oh, you know, you know that the good guys are always going to live because they're good guys. Like that's Spotted Leaf is killed off page. Firepaw just comes back and it's like, oh yeah, Spotted Leaf is dead. That genuinely surprised me. I was like, how could they do Spotted Leaf like that? It's such a like power play, I guess, on the part of the writers that they're showing, yeah, anybody can die at any point. You know, Game of Thrones could never. (laughs) They were teasing like a romance between (laughs) her and Firepaw even. Like he was looking at her kind of side-eyed and like, oh, Oh, she's kind of cute. And and I was like, come on, interesting. Don't get me started. He's a child. Isn't he like one or two? No, he's a he's, he's a like paw. A, he's like six months old, I think. Yeah, because moons are months, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a full cycle of the moon. He's a he's like a teenager, right? He's like let's just say he's like seventeen. <laughs> yeah, like she's a young okay, adult. That's creepy. And he's a kid. It is creepy. I mean, she's it's weird. And she's like she's a good medicine cat, but like the way that he's so into her is. I think it's just more a dive into the psychology of a teenage boy, which 
is not entirely foreign to me. So I was like, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I know what it's like to be in high school and, you know, you have a, a crush on the cute teacher in class and it's like, yep, yeah, Well, so the main question, the question that I have been teasing in my discussions with all of you is Blue Star a MILF? <laughs> because I um, think the way that Blue Star is described by Firepaw or like from Firepaw's perspective, it's very much like she's powerful and intimidating and beautiful and strong and, you know, hat like mysterious. And it's it's very like, you know, she's the housewife down the street and he's the pool boy. I think that Blue Star and Spotted Leaf are both like very, very feminine, but in completely different ways. Spotted way. Leaf is like a manic pixie dream girl. I don't know how I feel about her because on the one hand, relatable, but on the other hand, I'm like, I feel like she's a little too encouraging of this like 17 year old boy being like attracted to her. And it's also hard, like, you know, now as an adult, I've not really been in that situation but like imagine being in that mm -hmm. situation where like a kid is attracted to you and I've been the kid in that situation and now as an adult it's like extremely uncomfortable to think about because on yeah. the one hand maybe you do really care about that kid and you want to mentor them or you want to help them but you know like the responsibility of an adult is to set up those boundaries and I don't necessarily see her setting up those boundaries which makes me think like what the hell is your issue yeah. but cats also live very different life cycles which makes me think, well, if he's almost an adult and she's an adult cat and like all adult cats are kind of the same thing, it's not exactly like, you know what I mean? I think it's he also important that cutter. we're getting this from his perspective. So we don't really know what's going on in her yes. head. So whenever she's doing anything that Ooh. seems like vaguely suggestive, to me, I always read that as like fire popping being like, oh yeah, she's kind of into me, isn't she? And it's like, no, she's not, dude. Oh, I mean, it's, I again, never it's, even thought of it that way. I do. I that's like just, that. I don't that's know. My, maybe idea. my own experience is showing here, but when I was a teen boy, that's the sort of thing you always play it in your head. You're like, oh, maybe, maybe this this woman who has clearly not expressed any overt interest, <laughs> but she did look at me that one time. That could mean something. <laughs> yeah, to me, it just read as like fire popping, kind me. of desperate, and it's like, okay, dude, you're you're gonna get through this puberty thing. Just try not to do any. Don't do any harm, please, <laughs> please. And, you know, I think you're right that that third person omniscient perspective adds this kind of ambiguity because you mm -hmm. never exactly know if it's like, this is the author telling you how it is. We see into his head, we know what he's thinking, and we mm -hmm. see the world. I would not call him a self-insert character, personally, um, but I no. can understand. what What's a good term for him? Like a conduit character? Like, you know how you watch Avatar The Last Airbender and you learn about the world alongside all of the kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're all walking into this world for the first time as well. So we're right there with him. And I think we're meant to empathize with him in, throughout his journey. Maybe this is a good time to bring up some of the issues I had with the writing writing as an adult. Go ahead. You know, I am always here for your writing hot takes, Lola. Listen. I was pleasantly surprised, and I will clarify that. So I want to do the negatives and the positives as I'm shuffling through my sticky notes. So it is really fun. It's mm -hmm. really fun to read. I totally get why people became obsessed with this. My my four 
fourth grade self included. But the functional writing is a bit underwhelming. The prose is just stuffed with adverbs and adjectives. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, my like, you know, MFA creative writing brain is like, no, no, stop. (laughs) Even though I don't really care, you know. I'm not even one of those people who's like, "Um, you should aspire to one adverb per chapter. No, just, oh my God, does everything need to happen like slowly, suddenly, quickly? There are some in there that are a little egregious. I don't know if we had a flirtily in there but you know what I mean cunningly where it's like okay yeah and then you've got your typical like children's and fantasy cliches like the fact that chapter one begins with it was very dark which is just basically like it was a dark and stormy (laughs) night yes and yes I know these books are for children but they do read as over explained sometimes like uh I wrote down his stomach growled reminding him of his hunger (laughs) (laughs) which made me laugh so hard because it's like you could you didn't have to explain that your stomach growling means that you're hungry Uh, also how about the fact that the cats physically meow at each other what what is the what's wrong with that but i mean when they're talking it's a little weird to me that the way that they talk is to be like just reading the translations in the book Yeah, which also makes it a little bit weird when you consider that they have, like, certain names for things. They know what all the animals are called, or at least... Yeah, like, there's squirrels and mice and voles. Yes, there's an owl, you know, or a dove or a pigeon. And then the cats are named, like, dove wing and and pigeon heart or whatever. But then they'll be like, that's the Mm -hmm. silver pelt. It's a bunch of stars. And I'm like, so do you know what it is or don't you? And they call humans two legs. Thunderpath. Right. Yes. And they describe cars as monsters. And I'm like, so where's the, is it that they are so like divinely aligned with nature that they understand everything natural, but not everything artificial, which is kind of cool. Yeah, but then why don't they know what humans are? Why do they call them two legs and not humans? It's this very, um, my eco-feminist brain coming out here, but it's this distinction that positions humans outside of Mm -hmm. nature, which I'm never a fan of because humans are a part of nature they are not like the masters over nature but i mean a group of british ladies wrote this so then there's this part of me that's like okay that's very nice of you val plumwood but you can't expect just a group of average people to have that perspective when it's not the automatic world perspective you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and it suits the the world building to say that the humans and the cats are inherently separate. One thing I noticed when I started the book too is like, well, I didn't notice it at first. But when I was reading the book, I flipped back and I'm like, oh, because they have those two separate maps. And then I realized like, oh, these are maps of the exact same location. Just one is through the human's eyes and the other is through cat eyes. And just like mm-hmm. the way they're drawn differently, even like the, the cat version was so much like softer and friendlier, whereas the human mm-hmm. one was very harsh i guess very strict look like something a machine put out it looks like a map that you would use to do a word problem in a math textbook yeah exactly like what is the circumference of druid's hollow if you're traveling on windover road at 35 miles an hour (laughs) as a kid this added so much magic to it but they appear to be in like a rural to suburban area Mm -hmm. river clan camp is located on a campsite thunder clan camp is located in a woods that has a name so it's basically just like here we have a moor next to a campsite next to a like a a sparse field with you know some garbage next to thunder clan but that's the other thing too is they're aligning shadow clan with the garbage 
which I'm like, they're cats, dude. Yeah. Why do they care if it's human garbage, if it's useful? So what is, I don't know if we ever really get a good answer to this, but what is the distance? Like if we had to guess how many like acres or miles is this map? Cat walking speed. I'm map this out. <laughs> well, normally cats walk an average speed of two miles an hour. So it's like 20 miles, like max. I'm looking this up on the Warrior Cats Reddit. Feline locomotive behavior. What a awesome <laughs> couple of words. Apparently, Vicky Holmes, one of the Aaron Hunters, stated that the lake they live around in um, the, the arcs after the first one is about a quarter of a mile in diameter. Okay. So we can assume... It's probably like a couple miles each way. Why would it take them the whole day to get there then? This is my CinemaSense <laughs> moment. This is my, I need, a, I need a bell to ding. Don't ding. Um, this is actually unrealistic. This is the height of criticism now. <laughs> this book about magic cats doesn't follow laws of physics. Also, spider webs <laughs> do not stop bleeding. Ding. They could if they were thick enough, if you had like Sorry, a whole no, bunch ding. on top of each other. Ding. <laughs> When you, when you start to look at it from a human's perspective, it seems convoluted. But I wonder if that just means that we're not getting in, we need to get in the mind of a cat and we need to look at it from a cat's eye view. Maybe that's the moral all along. We'll never truly understand the world of cats. Which also makes the question like, how many cars are on this rural road? I mean, it only takes one, so. <laughs> I mean, true. <Oof. laughs> But also, where are you going? Yeah, hang on. Just let me hop on into my car and go to the old mine. The old abandoned mine called Devil's Fingers. Yeah, Actually, the okay. driving instructor one time tried to explain to me why deers get hit by cars. And that's because uh, cars, when they're coming at you, they don't change shape. They're just one fixed shape. And other animals are used to seeing creatures moving, like legs moving and stuff like that. So they can kind of tell when something's moving towards them. But when they see a, a, a box that's just moving and not just getting bigger somehow, it confuses them. They end up getting hit because they don't understand what it is. So, so what you're saying is someone needs to tweet at Elon Musk. At Elon Musk, dear legged Tesla when. Perfect. Perfect tweet. Um, the fact that the only Twitter I now have is for this podcast. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get away. Every time I think I'm out, you pull, pull me back, me back in. in. We need our cat-like reflexes on, on point here. All right. These books are very violent, and there are lots and lots of cats who die. So we have decided to keep a tally of all of the, at least all of the named cats who die in each book. And this book had four deaths, four deaths in the first book in the series. That's pretty impressive if you ask me. Uh, so we had Red Tail, pour one out for Red Tail, the original ThunderClan deputy. He was fine. He died off page. Then we had Oakheart, the OG warrior's death, pour one out, pour water out. And then we have Lionheart, who was the final death in this book. Lionheart was my favorite. Even reading it originally uh, as a kid, he was just so kind and funny. And I was like, he's the best. I hope that he and Firepaw are best friends forever. And then he dies at the end. And as an adult reading it, I was like, wow, Lionheart is so kind and funny and gentle. And he's like the best mentor that Firepaw could have. And I, I still loved him, even though I knew he was going to die. And then last but not least, 
I almost said last but not leaves. Last but not least, we have Spotted Leaf, the Medicine Cat for Thunder Clan, and Lola, I think you have a an obituary for her. From Warriors the Ultimate Guide, and I think this is going to reignite our conversation about Spotted Leaf, and I'm sorry oh, no. for that. And it's it has some spoilers, so Jose, I apologize, because it does have some oh, spoilers. Oh no, what are the, can you, is there a way to like... Mm-hmm. Spotted Leaf was the medicine cat in ThunderClan when Rusty the kitty pet, who would one day become Bleep, first arrived. She saw in him the same qualities that Blue Star did. Courage, spirit, unwavering loyalty to doing the right thing. But Spotted Leaf also saw Rusty as a warm, sensitive cat who was not limited by his expectations of her role as a medicine cat and viewed her more than anything else as a friend. If things had been different... If Spotted Leaf had been a few moons younger, an apprentice warrior rather than a medicine cat, their relationship would have become even closer. Instead, Spotted Leaf died before she and Fireheart could find a way to express how they felt about each other, which left her frustrated and lonely in StarClan, missing the friend she had left behind. She refused to let go of the connection she had shared with him and walked in his dreams, guiding and supporting him in his early days of bleep. When bleep, when, okay, how do I say this without, um, when something happened, Spotted Leaf knew that she had lost him to, insert cat that he inevitably ends up with here, in her heart, she understood that the young she-cat was a far better choice, able to walk side by side with him, bear his kits, and share responsibility for the clan over the coming seasons. Spotted Leaf grieved for missed chances, for a life that never could have been, but she still watched over him and her former clanmates as they moved to the- as they moved (sighs) to the new place that they would go. And I'm so sorry. In the final confrontation with such and such, Spotted Leaf did a did one last grand thing as her one final gift to her beloved fire heart. Okay, I have a very a very important question about uh, this is the Warrior's Ultimate Guide, right? Was this written by Fireheart? It's weird, right? It's deeply weird. It. This sounds like he was, he's writing about an ex-girlfriend who, you know, if only she could have dated me, right? That's what she really wanted. She was so lonely because she just couldn't be around someone as amazing as me. And, you know, she died, but her memory and, you know, she always knew that she needed to help me, the very important fireheart, do some great things. And it's so weird because in the book, there is the ambiguity. And then in this ultimate guide, they're like, no, she was in love with him. And then she grieved him forever. Was there never any other, like, cute guy her own age that she, like, was she waiting for him her whole life? Well, she's a medicine cat. Yeah. Medicine cats, I don't know if they say this explicitly in this book, but it's not like a spoiler, but medicine cats are not supposed to have mates or have kits. They're sort of forbidden from relationships. Yeah. uh, Because they have to be you know, objective and be in tune with Star Clan, and I don't know. I don't know what justification they have for it. But. So really what she sees in him is that he's an outsider because he doesn't perceive her as like this sexless medicine cat. Mm. He per- like they become close and she's like, oh, I'm going to have an affair. <laughs> she's going to cheat on Star Clan with this child. 
I feel it's so weird because she's this very idealized figure within the series of like this tragic heroine who died too soon but I think she's kind of messed up and I feel bad for her yeah. she's kind of like a Blanche Dubois she was like sucked into the role of being a medicine cat and she had to leave the ki- certain cat parts of her behind and it's yeah, it's sad. It's tragic what ThunderClan has done to her. Yeah. She's the other woman because she's like, but I know that I could never bear his children. And I'm like, yeah, but listen, why do you care? Because clearly yeah. that's not what's important to you about this. You feel like he's the only person that could have understood you and that maybe if things had been different, you could have been understood. Yeah. Not to get into the like, you know, age gap discourse, but... If we're assuming that this is a child or teen and an adult, if their ages are analogous to that, then it's on the older person to not engage with that. Like, that's, it doesn't matter if the younger person is, like, super into you or if they're the ones trying to, like, start a relationship or whatever. Like, it's on you, the adult, to say, no, sorry, this is unacceptable. You are making me uncomfortable. Please stop. Well, the fact that she looks at this, like, essentially a teenager... And it's like, hmm, someday we will have an affair. And this is portrayed kind of romantically by the Aaron Hunters. They're old British ladies. It's giving like Cardcaptor Sakura. <laughs> or like how old is a cat when they become a medicine cat or like start on the journey to be a medicine cat? I'm just thinking like, is she still like trapped in that mindset where she was like, okay, I'm going to close off this part of my life. I am now medicine cat. And she started a new chapter. And when she looks back, it's like, feelings she didn't consider or they weren't part of her life except for when she was much younger oh like when people like when people get married like right after high school and then later when they become like middle-aged they're like you know i i was never able to like explore or do my own thing and so then they like that kind of thing yeah and they want to sort of go back to their youth i mean it doesn't make it right Uh i'm just trying to understand her psychology here it's frustrating for so many reasons i'm kind of over here like a little irritated by the whole thing (laughs) But it's fine. It's genuinely fine. And I actually think it's kind of powerful if you had a child character who had a crush on this, you know, older, unavailable, unattainable woman, and then she Mm -hmm. dies. That's, I mean, you know, not to get too personal, but it's unimaginably difficult when the person who shapes, like, who you are passes away. And that's something that a lot of kids can relate to because death is a very common, painful thing. Like we lose people who are integral to us. You know, grief is a perfectly excellent universal theme for a children's book. The problem is that then Aaron Hunter's confirmed like, oh yeah, totally. She totally would have been with him. It's not just like Rusty is grieving. It's like, yeah, but Spotted Leaf was so into him the whole time. And she's giving him like special guided, wounded advice from Star Clan. That's so messed yeah. up. I mean, I guess it'll, we'll see as the books go on, though I'm generally inclined to kind of say, like, I don't really care what the Aaron Hunters have to say. I, I, I'll keep my own interpretation of the book. Um, <laughs> yes, death of the author. Yeah. I'll, I'll, well, we, I don't wish them specific harm, but, you know, in a figurative sense. <laughs> I th- I'm just thinking at some point we need to get one of the Aaron Hunters on here and we'll, like, make uh, make one of them answer for their crimes. Yeah, to clarify, it's not an issue with the Aaron Hunters necessarily. That's the other thing, right, is famously, famously, they disagree with each other. So maybe when the first book was written, the intention was what we read. And then later, as the fandom developed and another Aaron Hunter wrote this book, 
their personal vision of Spotted Leaf is that she's like this wounded, fragile, otherworldly thing who developed this fixation on this apprentice, which may not have been the original intention. But like, I I wonder if that's what it came down to is that she, you know, had this vision, not that that makes it okay, but she had this idea of Of him in her head that was, you know, the hero rather than the child that will later become the hero. Well, she saw this like precognitive version Mm -hmm. of him like she perceived him before he was which again not to get personal but also like very relatable like when you meet someone and you're automatically like oh I feel mysteriously connected to this person like there's someone I've known for a long time but for her it's not just that she felt that it's that she had visions Mm -hmm. of him potentially plural potentially plural visions of him which again um, I also think that it's kind of problematic that she should be expected to give up so much for Fireheart and the person he inevitably ends up with in Star Clan. That she's like expected to be like his mother virgin whore figure all at once. Poor Spotted Leaf. But also ew. Yeah. Poor Spotted Leaf but also ew. (laughs) That's the moral of the story. Because you mentioned there might be some disagreement or there was some disagreement amongst the Aaron Hunters And I just remembered, you know, there was a a line that Zoe noted that was in the book. Alliances bring more trouble than they're worth. Maybe there's some spicy stuff behind that line. Um, Something to keep an eye on. Do you think that that was, oh, we're getting into the drama now. That is juicy. (laughs) If it's here in the first book, maybe there's uh, there's trouble in the Aaron Hunter verse. Or what do we call the collection of the, the beans that make up Aaron Hunter? The Aaron the Hunters. Hunter. Hunter Clan. <laughs> Hunter Clan, Clan yes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the ideological differences in warriors are the like the battling ideologies of the mm. authors, which then also makes it such a rich yeah. text. Because if in one book it's like unanimity and, and pacifism is the only way, be an environmentalist. And then in the next book, it's like, actually, fascism is cool. So is it like all a microcosm of the the dangers of, maybe not dangers, the possible pitfalls of democracy and living in a globalized world that like there are so many of us, like there's no way that we can all agree I actually started to think that while I was nearing the end of reading this book where I was like, is this actually like a criticism of democracy as like a farce? Is this like, <laughs> like the four trees? Is this like actually a United Nations satire? Because it is. Yeah, because they, they don't even try and investigate ShadowClan for war crimes, even though they should, but they just, they just don't. I want to know more about these women. They definitely seem like we were talking about the overlaps between the Warriors books and the Harry Potter books. They definitely seem like S tier over J.K. Rowling. Well, there was the fact that one of the minor Aaron Hunters started being transphobic and they kicked her out of the group. Hell yeah. This happened just a couple years ago. This was pretty recent. So she wasn't one of the OGs. She wasn't one of the Kate Carey or anything. But she started posting some questionable stuff and the Warriors fandom is actually very, very queer. And it's something that the Aaron Hunters have always been accepting of, or so I've heard, um, that they've always been really like enthusiastic about the Warrior space being a safe place for queer kids to express themselves. Maybe that's the strength of working as a group. There's no one person who is ever like indispensable like i don't know like who is gonna kick jk rowling out of what her being the creator of harry potter there's like no one to do it Uh, it's nice that they can hold each other accountable i don't know i've always been interested in like 
something that's created by a group of people instead of like a singular authorial voice. And maybe that's why it's so good at expressing different perspectives and ideas. And uh, that makes me more interested in reading more books in the future if we're going to get like different visions of this cat society or societies. Speaking of future stories, what are your sort of expectations or what is your list of things that you want to see explored in future books? There's stuff I'm, I know we're going to see, obviously, Fireheart and his ascent. He's going to become more a big deal in these books and he'll save them all somehow. What? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> are you trying to say that fire alone will save the clan? I think that spot mm. leaf was onto something. I don't know. Um, not literally, thankfully, but you know what I mean. Uh, oh, so God. what I would like to see, though, is I kind of want to see what the other clans are all about. I feel like I got a real good look at Thunder Clan, Shadow Clan. I, I want to look at it from the inside. And like River Clan mm. and Wind Clan. I don't know what's going on with them. River Clan in particular, like their decision at the four trees still like... I'm looking at it like, how could they just do that? They just rolled over. Like, what is the strategy? What are they doing? What are their plans for the future? I, I, I'm hoping Wind Clan, when they eventually do show up, I hope they will at some point. Uh, we can learn more about what they're all about and how they just like fled. Like, why did they do that? Before we go, we should um, reveal what we decided our, our warrior cat's name should be. Would you like to take the helm on that? Because I don't know how the. F well, now we just got rated explicit. Thanks a lot, Zoe. You just cut, just cut <laughs> all of the words that I say. I chose the name Moss Feather because it evokes the forest and the air. <laughs> and it also reminds me of like an old bird that is like wise and ethereal and otherworldly. The warrior cats in the books are often named based on their like fur pattern, etc. And so I decided to go with something that relates to where I live. And I recently moved to North Carolina, which is the home of pine trees. We're just full of pine trees all over the place. And so that is why my name is Pine Tail. The tail because it sounds nice. And it keeps you balanced. Oh, it does keep... Oh... That's good. I like that. I struggled to come up with one of these names because I'm not familiar with the uh, the Warrior Cats world. So I kind of had to just wing it, I guess. And I went with Blue Paw. Uh, paw because I am still young, learning, new into this world. And uh, Blue, I always like Blue. Um, I sort of wanted a, a water vibe, but also an air vibe. Also, uh, my favorite bird is the Blue Jay, which may not surprise some people, I guess. And so I kind of wanted to tie all of that in together. And I know this puts me on a collision course with Blue Star. Bold of you to assume you're going to become a leader. That's the thing. I don't know if I want to be a leader. Maybe <laughs> I'll just be something else. Maybe we'll both be medicine cats. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I liked Blue Star, though, in this book. She was she was cool. We were talking about her energy earlier on. She seemed so confident. And so like she was holding the whole clan together. And it's it sort of made me wonder, like, why is your clan filled with such horrible cats and bad values and so weird and kind of fashy? But she herself doesn't get any of that on her somehow, which I, I just was very impressed by her in general. So maybe I want to be her apprentice too, me and Fireheart. Could it be the corrupting influence of Tiger Claw, or have I said too much? <gasps> I definitely have suspicions about that one. Dun, dun, dun. I'm pretty sure he's he's going to get up to some shenanigans in future books. Shenanigans is such a delicate a... way of putting that. So yeah, this is the jumping off point of our adventure that we are all going to be going on together 
Pinetail, Moss Feather, and Blue Paw as we explore these Warrior Cats books together over the next many, many months and probably years because there's a lot of books, folks. There are, what, 80-something I think we discovered? I'm sure everyone's going to be uh, reading along with us every week. They'll be reading them as well. Yes. <laughs> um, it's the only way that this podcast can work, so I hope you all go to your local libraries. You know what, though? That would be so cool if we could hear from listeners. Yeah, and if you want to reach out to us or share some of your thoughts, that's okay. Future Lola can can splice something in. Do we want to do like individual plugs as well? Yeah, we can record those okay. in the future. And we'll just like slap them on them at the end. Yep. Thank you all so much for listening to this podcast and diving into this Warrior Cats universe with us. But please help control the pet population and have your pets spayed and neutered. It really is important. And until next time, we have been the only Warrior Cats podcast. And say it with me, folks, fire alone can save our clan. Cats podcast is hosted by Zoe B, Lola Sebastian, and Jose, and is edited by Lola Sebastian. Our intro music was written and performed by Neil Farrell of The Leftist Cooks, and our podcast art was drawn by Odd McName. The Only Warrior Cats podcast is produced by Nebula. If you'd like to support the show, you can come join the clan over at patreon.com slash theonlywarriorcatspodcast, where memberships start at just $1 a month. You can get lots of cool perks like end-of-episode shoutouts, having your cat's meows be forever enshrined as a podcast sound effect, and getting access to our exclusive bonus episodes where we cover all the Warriors content outside the main series. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.